for our industry, these pieces of legislation are, are critical. And we've worked with a wide variety of stakeholders, including through things like the Carbon Free Technology Initiative, to really focus on critical technologies for getting the power sector to net zero and the recommendations necessary to put those into place. And we've seen so much of that reflected in the IIJA legislation and now in the Chips and Sciences Act and the IRA through the clean energy tax credits that were included in there. So these things really stand to be game changers. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Over the past year, we have seen tremendous progress on the climate policy front here in the United States. Last November, we saw the bipartisan infrastructure law finally get across the finish line, and this year we saw the robust clean energy tax package included in the Inflation Reduction Act and the Chips and Science Act signed into law. When taken together, these new laws firmly place the United States at the forefront of global efforts to deploy new carbon-free technologies and drive down carbon emissions. We already are making tremendous progress. Today, 40% of U.S. generation comes from clean, carbon-free resources, and carbon emissions from the U.S. power sector are as low as they were in 1984, while electricity use is up 72% since then. We are excited that we now have even more policy tools available to support the clean energy transformation that EEI's member companies are leading. In recent weeks, EEI and our member companies participated in several major events, ranging from National Clean Energy Week to the Global Clean Energy Action Forum in Pittsburgh and the North America Climate Summit that was part of Climate Week New York City and the opening of the UN General Assembly. It also was National Drive Electric Week. EEI's Managing Director of Clean Energy and Environmental Policy, Eric Holdsworth, attended many of these events with EEI's delegation, and he's joining the podcast today to talk about what he saw at those events, our industry's clean energy leadership, the importance of energy grid resilience while building this clean energy future, and a look ahead to see what else we have coming up this fall. Eric, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here again. To start off, you've had a busy couple of weeks really traveling all over the place for some of these events. Can you talk about which ones you participated in and really also why EEI was invited to participate in these events? Thanks, Brian. I'd be happy to. In fact, it was a very exciting last couple of weeks. EEI has been involved in National Clean Energy Week before, but this year we really upped our game and were involved in Climate Week New York with our own event. And then we had the very unique opportunity to participate in the Global Clean Energy Action Forum in Pittsburgh, uh, in part at the invitation of DOE and also in organizing some side events. So I was fortunately able to uh, have a chance to participate in all of those. And it was really exciting time, a lot of energy in all of those events because they uh, related to each other. Certainly a lot of the same people going to Climate Week and to the Global Clean Energy Action Forum, but also the excitement about climate change and the sense of clean energy technology development really being front and center now. So really exciting time and happy to unpack that more. So for National Clean Energy Week, I know they do the the Policymakers Symposium. Can you talk a little bit about industry participation in some of those sessions? Again, National Clean Energy was a great week for the industry. It's a, it's a great week anyhow to really highlight everything that's going on in clean energy. And Brian, you noted at the top of this podcast all the exciting developments in the last year, which really are creating a lot of enthusiasm out there in the climate and clean energy space. So at uh, National Clean Energy Week, of course, we were able to have our chairman, Warner Baxter, offer some great opening remarks on 
day two and really doing some fabulous stage setting and talking about many of the themes you outlined at the beginning, our clean energy transition, the importance of resilience, the importance of some of this recently passed legislation. Uh, and then Brian Wolf was able to summarize that first day's activities. And we also had our vice chairman, Pedro Pizarro, offering uh, remarks uh, on day one as well, and also highlighting Edison International's journey and the industry's journey. And then finally, we had a great panel that Emily Fisher, EEI's general counsel, helped moderate with several EEI members talking about this very issue of clean energy technology deployment. So that was just in one week. So we can talk about the other events, but that's already pretty exciting right there from my perspective. Sure. And I know you mentioned the, or I guess we both mentioned the Global Clean Energy Action Forum. Uh, one of the themes for the panels that EI participated in was building the energy grid of the future. Can you talk about why that's so important to help integrate more clean energy and our members' efforts to really ensure that customers have access to reliable and affordable energy? Thanks, Brian. It's a great question. And that was a really important forum. And EEI was a very honored to be asked by DOE to help organize this business forum track with several different panels, a number of CEO speakers, and the importance of getting into this issue about infrastructure, right, is if we're going to build this clean energy future that we're advancing towards, we're going to need to continue to deploy more resources, new resources, and many of those are going to require transmission lines and distribution and maybe even more pipelines for things like hydrogen going forward. So we're going to need a lot lot of new infrastructure to complement what we already have. And so it's important to explore these issues. And of course, it's not just wanting to build it, but being able to being able to get those uh, pipelines and, and transmission wires sited and to get the necessary permits and doing all this in, in a fashion that makes economic sense and keeps energy affordable and reliable. So important to balance all of those factors. And this business track took uh, three hours and really unpacked a lot of those. And it was a great discussion about those issues and how this recently passed legislation can help. For those who may not be familiar, I mean, it was the first inaugural Global Clean Energy Action Forum. Can you speak a little bit about who the audience and participants were? I believe this was co-located with the Clean Energy Ministerial meeting. So um, I, I guess really just just framing who this really was intended for. Yeah, no, and this was exciting because, uh, so the meetings were largely the Clean Energy Ministerial and Mission Innovation meetings that are government energy minister meetings uh, at that kind of government level. That was the main hook. But DOE, this is the first time the U.S. had hosted this event in five years. And so the Department of Energy took the opportunity, I think correctly, to invite a wide range of stakeholders to hold side events, to organize these business forum tracks, to bring in the private sector, to bring in investors, to bring in clean energy technology developers, and to bring in a wide range of stakeholders to really get into and talk about some of the exciting developments in this area. I think it was a, a real home run. There were a lot of people there, not just, of course, energy ministers and government officials, officials, but a wide range of stakeholders. And like I said, a lot of private sector people, uh, a lot of investors. And uh, the exciting thing about that was some of those same people were also coming from the Climate Week events in New York, which were tied at the beginning of the UN, opening of the UN General Assembly and discussing climate. So you had this real connection between climate and what's necessary to address climate change and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And then this clean energy technology form really focusing on what's happening in the space and some of the exciting developments. And I was just, uh, before we chatted, I was looking over just the lineup again and for the Global Clean Energy Action Forum. I mean, EEI was there, but it was great to see there also was uh, senior executives and, and chief executives from Duquesne Light Company, PSEG, Exelon, 
AES, National Grid, NV Energy, PPL, Sempra, Southern California Edison, and TVA. So you're really getting a good cross-section of industry leaders from across the U.S. who are participating. Well, you know, Brian, what was exciting in that forum, because EEI not only organized the Grid of the Future Forum, we also organized a, a whole other track on building efficiency, and then we had a side event continuing a dialogue that we started at COP26 on community engagement. And as you pointed out, Brian, we were able to have a wide range of members at all of these events. We had CEOs uh, in New York offering keynote remarks. We had CEOs offering keynote remarks on our panels in Pittsburgh uh, and a wide range of member companies involved, as you said, really helping to tell the industry story from that diverse standpoint. So very exciting, I think, for, for EEI and its members to really get out in front. So the timing of National Clean Energy Week and all these events here really was pretty interesting. I mean, this was just, uh, obviously, we had the bipartisan infrastructure bill pass in the fall, but really these events were just on the heels of the Chips and Science Act and the new clean energy tax package and the Inflation Reduction Act having just been signed into law. And of course, these are major legislative wins for clean energy, but really for our customers and our our focus on affordability. Um, While you were there, did you get the sense that the federal funding and tax policies in these bills will make an impact on the electric company's clean energy goals? And and also just given the audience and participation, uh, how were these new policies received by the international stakeholders that were there? Thanks, Brian. It's a great question. I got to say the passage of uh, the IRA legislation shortly before the meetings in Pittsburgh really injected a lot of momentum into those meetings. I think internationally, it really helped give the United States boost their standing in the climate process. Nations understand that the U.S. is on track now and has the policies in place to help meet its climate goals. So certainly well received. And of course, U.S. leadership on climate has been paramount since day one. And this passage of that legislation and the other pieces you've mentioned really helps advance that uh, that standing. Of course, for our industry, these pieces of legislation are are critical. And we've worked with a wide variety of stakeholders, including through things like the Carbon Free Technology Initiative, to really focus on critical technologies for getting the power sector to net zero and the recommendations necessary to put those into place. And we've seen so much of that reflected in the IIJA legislation and now in the Chips and Sciences Act and the IRA through the clean energy tax credits that were included in there. So these things really stand to be game changers in the development of the clean energy technologies that EEI's members are ultimately going to need to really get all the way to net zero. A lot we can do with today's technologies, but I think we all acknowledge we're going to need more tools in the toolbox, tools we need to start developing now so they're ready to deploy uh, by the end of this decade, and this legislation really helps put a, puts a giant boost into, into that effort. And therefore, I think our members being able to uh, continue their pathways and decarbonize. And it may be helpful for our listeners just to recap where we are today with the voluntary commitments that our member companies have made for reducing emissions, and also to explain where reliability and affordability factor into the planning. Sure, Brian, that's a great question. And I've got to say, I'm really excited about what's happening with EEI and its members on this front. Uh, 50 of EEI's members have set near and long-term carbon goals. The vast majority of those, I believe 40 of them, almost 80% now, involve a net zero by 2050 or earlier goal. So that's the way forward. And of course, we're already at 36% below 2005 levels as of the end of last year. Only major remaining a sector to be approaching any kind of level of reduction like this. And if that's 
where we are now, these goals show us where we're headed as a sector. Of course, what's important in the setting of all these goals, and the members take this into account in designing their pathways, every company is going to have a different pathway. There's different tools and technologies, different geographical locations and access to other forms of energy. And every one of these companies has designed their plans to keep energy affordable and reliable as we go down this pathway, since that's really the cornerstone of our industry's uh, commitment uh, in serving electricity and serving the nation. And so they've balanced these plans to be able to reduce their emissions in a timely fashion while maintaining the necessary reliability on the system and bringing on the resources that will be needed to keep that reliable, but in a pathway that also keeps it affordable going forward. And can you talk a little bit about the role of new carbon-free technologies for those uh, the clean energy transition? And maybe thinking back to the all the new laws we have in place, how are those helping to drive innovation and deployment of new carbon-free technologies? Sure. So, of course, we already are deploying a lot of renewable energy. Wind and solar and, and uh, EEI and its members continue to lead the way in deploying wind and solar. Of course, we also have hydro. And as you noted earlier in the in the podcast, Brian, we've already getting 40% of our electricity from net zero sources. And many of our members recognize that with these current tools, they can get to 70 or 80% below by the near term. But to get to net zero, we're going to need these other advanced technologies like advanced nuclear, like carbon capture and storage, like hydrogen, uh, and a number of other technologies, long duration energy storage. Bringing these to fruition is going to be critical for that last step in the journey. And that's what things like IIJA and IRA can really help accelerate. Why? Because they're putting in place the funding and the policies and the structure to help really drive the necessary RD, D&D, research, development, deployment, and demonstration of these technologies. Many of these are still in their infancy, and so it's going to take a concerted effort by all stakeholders with some government help to get us through that initial phase of research and development to see which of these technologies may offer the greatest promise, which technologies, I should say, because it won't be a single one. It's going to be a basket of technologies, and we really need to start working now to find out which one of these will be available down the road, which ones won't, so we can then adjust our plans accordingly. And the Department of Energy, or DOE, and its national labs already are critically important partners for the sector, but I've seen a few people describe what the bipartisan infrastructure law did as the biggest reorganization of DOE and kind of mission realignment um, in its history. And that, that must be pretty exciting for the folks who are really focused on identifying ways to really get these technologies in the field, to test them, to demonstrate them. The way in which a lot of our companies and our sector builds things is they go through a carefully reviewed process with a lot of state commissions. Um, it depends a little bit about how you're regulated in each state, but usually there's not a whole lot of let's try it and see if this works. Usually that process lends itself to tried and true technologies. So it seems as though this is trying to solve for getting more more states and regulators and others comfortable and, and being able to prove these technologies that they're ready to go. Well, that's exactly right. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because unlike other industries, you know, say the oil and gas industry, which is fully privatized industry, private sector, they can invest a lot of their own capital on technology RD&D. In our industry, because of how we're structured, because of our social compact, because our all of our um, P 
plans and our rate cases are looked at by public utility commissions. We don't have that same level of flexibility, so it's really important in getting these next generation technologies developed that we have help from the government side to really boost up the work at the labs to demonstrate, to explore those technologies, ideally working with utilities and other stakeholders so that as we develop them, we can be ironing out the bugs in the process and really needing to work together. But this isn't the kind of thing the power sector can do on its own. We really do need government help. Uh, and again, this funding and putting in place the programs that DOE is putting in place uh, are really critical. And it is, Brian, just to your earlier comment, a really exciting, I think many people call this a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I, I couldn't agree more. You don't see this type of focus. You don't get this type of legislation passed very often where a lot of different stakeholders have come together and see a vision and are putting the resources behind it to try to carry it out. Now it's incumbent on all of us to implement that, but the good first steps are there, and it's, it is an exciting time. And I think it's safe to say everyone's attention, whether it's policymakers in Congress who advance these bills, the administration who signed it into law, and, and the agencies executing it now, and especially our member companies, all of this is being driven by making sure this clean energy transition is affordable for our customers, right? Well, then that's exactly the importance of all of this, right, is so that we can look at these technologies and work with them in the lab and bring down the cost so that we can deploy them in a commercially deployable fashion. So they are, in fact, ready to come onto the grid and we can keep that energy affordable and reliable, which is so critical, while making it cleaner, increasingly cleaner. So Looking back on September, it certainly was a busy month and you were really all over the place engaged in a lot of these events and discussions. And now we look forward and we're just about a month away from the COP27 meetings in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. So I imagine you're busy again. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and exciting though, right? Exciting, busy in a very exciting way. I mean, A, in September, there we were able to tell our story at Climate Week in Pittsburgh at National Clean Energy Week just helping people understand the critical role this industry not only is playing, but wants to play and needs to play in getting the nation to net zero. I mean, that just doesn't happen very often to begin with. And now we flash forward to the COP, an even higher profile event, and EEI is once again incredibly lucky to have a couple of its CEOs attending, uh, Pedro Pizarro from Edison International and Ralph Izzo from PSEG, along with member company representatives from AES, Southern Company, Duke Energy, National Grid, uh, so we're going to have a big delegation, a very high-profile delegation, and we're really looking forward to doing a number of events over there, including fortunately being able to once again do an event, a private sector event uh, at the U.S. Center where we'll be able to highlight power sector and, and private sector leadership in addressing the climate challenge. And the U.S. Center, that's the official U.S. delegation's venue for, for discussions, right? Yes. Thank you for when I get caught up in my shorthand living in the COP world. Yeah, it's where the U.S. Um, government puts on its events, uh, and it's a really high-profile space. Very lucky to be able to do that. But we're also going to be doing a range of programming outside of that, highlighting power sector leadership, not just in general on climate, but what we're doing in clean energy, what we're doing in resilience, what we're doing uh, with electric transportation, and in a range of other areas where, again, the sector is helping to lead or is, in fact, leading and helping decarbonize other parts of the economy in addition to ourselves. And, and for the 
EEI part of that delegation, I, I maybe you can recount how many of these COP meetings you've actually attended yourself, but I know that EEI's EVP and Chief Strategy Officer Brian Wolf also has been attending and helping lead these delegations for quite a few years. Yes, no, well, and that's, I should really uh, also be very thankful that Brian is engaged. Uh, he really has helped galvanize our CEO and member company participation, and so he will be leading our delegation uh, over there. Uh, we'll have a relatively small uh, EEI staff, and I've probably been to far too many of these cops, but I, I must say what's exciting about this meeting coming up in Egypt is building off of what happened in Glasgow where we delegates were able to complete the Paris rule book and there was a real buzz about what people were doing and the kinds of goals they were committing to. The focus in Egypt is going to be on implementation and I think there the industry has a great story to tell and really excited to go over and be able to help us tell that story and to help the world understand what's happening here and the kind of progress we're making. And to think back to last year's programming a little bit, I, I think we've seen a, a recognition of the role of our industry in helping to drive down global emissions, as well as kind of our willingness and even eagerness to be at the table helping to lead this transition. Um, I mean, I was a little bit surprised last year as the programming was coming together to see the events that we were doing. It was great to see we were there with the uh, U.S. Center activities, of course, but to see the opportunity invitation to do it in the other venues. There was the WWF Panda Pavilion. It, I think in years past, there may not have been that invitation. So how have you seen, uh, I guess, the evolution of, of people really starting to recognize and appreciate all the progress that we're making and, I guess, the clear path that we've laid for continuing to make progress? That's a great question. Uh, and I think you kind of hit it on the head. Um, I mean, I would say 10 years ago, we were maybe not lucky to be even doing one event somewhere. Um, and now we've been able to grow not only our program, but where we're able to do the programs. And those, I think, are recognition of the hard work that the sector's doing and our willingness and, and desire to work with a wide range of stakeholders in this transition and not trying to come at it from a we-know-it-all standpoint, but from a let's all collectively take this journey. I think that was reflected in us being able to do an event at the U.S. Center last year to highlight our leadership. Again, we're the only sector, only major emitting sector that's reducing its emissions at any kind of clip like this. And in fact, our emissions reductions really lead the world. So that's a great story to highlight. And I know we're eager. And I think uh, eagerness to have us highlight that journey and how the recently passed legislation can accelerate that. And then you pointed out that last year we were given the opportunity to do an event at the um, All In Pavilion, uh, where the World Wildlife Fund has its events. And I think that was um, certainly uh, an honor for us. And, and we're hoping we can do that again this year. And I think those are also recognitions of the fact that our message is a positive one and we're trying to contribute to solutions uh, and and people are giving us that opportunity. And I think we're seeing it increasingly in our and people wanting us to have events in their pavilion or wanting to partner with us. Uh, I think that's all recognition of this great story and people realizing uh, that that's a great story to, to hook onto as well. And I'd be remiss to not at least ask about the geopolitics present this year that may not have been as present last year. I mean, in the time since we've seen Russia's war in Ukraine, as well as the weaponization of energy, and, and really you've seen a new urgency, I think, from some of the uh, world leaders and what they can be doing to accelerate their clean energy journeys. So do you expect that urgency to be present during these COP meetings? Absolutely. And I think I think that's part of the reason there's going to be such a focus on implementation uh, and moving forward on commitments. People, yes, right, it's a... Um, 
you know, a difficult situation in the world. I know that energy security will be uh, one of the themes uh, at the COP as well. Uh, but I think that's all the more reason why the passage of this legislation was so important in the U.S. Again, to help galvanize U.S. leadership, to help show the world that there is a pathway forward. Europe is certainly taking steps as well. So I think there's a good story to be told. And I think it's going to be even more important at the COP. I think we're going to be doing a lot of talking about why a clean energy future is an even more secure future than the one we currently have. And so the importance of building out these technologies and getting them deployed, not just across the U.S., but across the world, uh, can really help us advance uh, everyone's access to electricity, which can improve standards of living, uh, but also hopefully make it a more secure and sustainable world going forward. So that's certainly going to be a theme, along with, of course, a lot of focus on, given that the COP is taking place in Africa, on things like adaptation and resilience, on things like the importance of uh, providing financing for developing countries so they can grow their economies in a clean fashion and address some of the impacts of climate change. So we'll see a lot of focus on that, some of the usual themes as well, and of course, uh, everyone's favorite topic of mitigation and continuing to reduce and actually implementing the commitments that nations have put forward. And again, the U.S. now has a great story to tell. And I know it's something that's a priority here in the U.S., but do you think there'll also be a lot of focus on opportunities to reduce carbon emissions from other major emitting sectors? I mean, that's always an important piece of the puzzle. But as we're seeing in Europe, the the lack of access to natural gas has really hit their manufacturing sectors pretty hard. So do you think there's a new urgency on not just the power sector, but really looking at those other major emitting sectors of the economy? Absolutely. And in fact, I think because there's being progress in the power sector, because people are hearing our story and recognizing that there are steps to be taken, but people are also now turning their focus to these other sectors. And and what steps can they take? And certainly electricity can play a role in helping almost every sector address its emissions in some fashion. But I do think we'll see more focus. And we saw a little bit of this last year in Glasgow uh, with focus on the cement sector and steel and other large emitters. I think we'll see a lot more focus on what they can do. And I think it's important then to highlight the role of electricity in helping those sectors also reduce their emissions. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Eric. And for our listeners, as we get closer to the COP sessions, uh, we work hard to, where feasible, to have live streams available to some of the discussions we participate in. So we'll definitely be providing more information on kind of where and when to tune in. Uh, We were able to stream, I think, almost all of the sessions that we did last year in Glasgow and certainly the goal for this time around as well. But really, it's it's just so exciting to see the growing size of the EEI delegation for these sessions. And I wouldn't even be surprised if uh, you see some more members before all said and done. So really, it's just so great to see the member company participation and recognition that these international conversations are important for our companies and our customers. You know, Brian, I would just say real quickly on that, it's, you know, it's great to see the member involvement. Like I said, we couldn't be luckier to have CEOs engaged and member companies and a big delegation. That's also uh, important and not lost on uh, other delegations and other U.S. officials that attend these meetings. They see who comes. Uh, they see that people are taking time out of their schedules to try to make an impact in the process. And it's the kind of thing that is remembered uh, and can be helpful. So it's always good for members to come, not just to tell our story, uh, but to help our government and other governments understand the importance we place on this issue. Great. Well, I imagine you're, you have work to do, so I'll let you back to it. But thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks again, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity. 
that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.